Jeremiah chapter 20. I'm going to ask Aisha to read this morning from God's Word. We're going to read the entire chapter, Jeremiah 20, starting in verse 1. Now Peshur, the priest, the son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Peshur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the, that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day, when Peshur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Peshur, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror for, to yourself, and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, sure, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. For if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as, I dread, as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who test the righteous, who see the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he is not because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Father, we ask that as we come into the reading uh, and the preaching of your word, that you would speak to us, that you would make these truths come alive for us in our own hearts, that you would this morning work in us in a way that only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And all God's people said, 
Amen. During the early days of the church, there was a lot of persecution. The reason was simple. Jesus had been put to death, and his followers were saying that he had been raised from the dead. The Sanhedrin, together along with Rome, killed Jesus, and nobody survives Roman crucifixion. And so when you get a bunch of people who are growing in numbers, and they are declaring that this person who has been killed as an enemy of the state has been raised from the dead, this is going to cause some ripples, a.k.a. persecution. Guys like Peter and John in Acts boldly declaring the risen Christ. So for example, uh, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are declaring the risen Christ and they are arrested. They find themselves in chains. They find themselves staying overnight in the city prison. The next day, they find themselves in court, sitting before the Sanhedrin and the high priest. The high priest asks them a question, by what name do you do this? They give the answer, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. The Sanhedrin then kind of freak out, and they have this meeting together, saying, okay, what are we going to do about these guys? What do we do about these people who boldly proclaim that Jesus has been risen from the dead. And so they determined we must warn them never to talk in the name of Jesus again. And so they come back uh, into court and they tell Peter and John uh, that you must never talk in this name again, and they warn them. Now, if this were you, what would you do in that situation? You have been warned to never speak again in the name of Jesus. What would you do? Well, in chapter 4, verse 19 and 20 of Acts, I just have to read their response to you because it's, I, love, I love it. They say, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Let me read that last line again. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They have a fire. They can't help it. I want to talk to you this morning on this theme Fire in my bones. Fire in my bones. I get our theme from verse 9 of Jeremiah chapter 20 where Jeremiah himself says, if I say I will not mention his name or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. Listen, the world today is no more for God and His Word than the world was in Jeremiah's day. A lot changes over time, and things have changed. Our pet sins of humanity change. 
What, what humanity deems to be right and wrong changes over time. But one thing remains the same, and that is that we are, as a human race, rebels against God. That we have rejected God's Word. That humans today, the world today, is in no more in favor of God and His revealed Word than they were during Jeremiah's day. This then leads to people rejecting not just the message, but the messengers. This is what's called persecution. Persecution then leads to discouragement on our part. It leads to discouragement for Jeremiah. The question I want to explore today is this. When we are persecuted by the world, What do we do with our discouragement, and how can we remain faithful in proclaiming God's Word? Dr. Robert Smith, in commenting on Jeremiah chapter 20, says this, because of God's greatness, believers who face suffering still have a need within them to proclaim His name. Because of God's greatness, believers who face suffering and persecution have a need that remains within them to continue proclaiming His name. So how do we deal with our discouragement that comes from persecution and how do we remain faithful? Let me talk about a couple things that I see in this text. First, what I see is that discouragement comes. Discouragement comes. I think of my own life, my own ministry that God has called me to over the years, and I think of the many, many, many nights of discouragement. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of that discouragement came from my own personal failings, meaning I can't blame God for this one. (laughs) That's just me. But there have been times where I've been discouraged because I have tried to faithfully proclaim God's Word, and it's been rejected. I was looking in my old journals recently, and um, man, my journals are discouraging. (laughs) I, I think, while I don't realize this as I journal, as I write down my thoughts, but I think I use journals therapeutically. Meaning, like, if you read, you're like, man, Joel is a depressed fool. What is the matter with this guy? I think I only write when I'm upset. But I I read so much discouragement over the years in ministry, in my journals. So this is from March 8th, 2008. I say, God, why am I so frustrated and discouraged? I do know that I'm tired. I'm losing my resilience. I need to be able to spring back up, but it's getting more and more difficult every day. I really don't feel like gathering with the church this morning. I wouldn't mind driving away right now and being done with it. 
That was it. Yeah. It's not like the Psalms where he kind of comes back, but you, oh God. <laughs> Just, that was it. <laughs> Discouragement comes in Christian ministry. And I don't mean those of us that are paid by churches. I mean everybody who's a Christian here in ministry. Proclaiming God's word in whatever sphere that God has put you in. Discouragement comes, not just simply because of your personal failings, but even because of God's word. We see here in the text, first, discouragement comes from those who supposedly love God. I see this in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 20. In these verses, there's this man named Pashur. He's a high priest. We see in verse 1 that he is hired by the temple to oversee the temple. He is the chief priest. This guy gets a salary from the people of God to oversee the worship of God that happens at the temple, meaning this guy should love Yahweh. This is a representative of Yahweh on earth. Now, I don't know the backstory here, but he hears Jeremiah's message. We can only assume that Jeremiah went to the temple to meet with Pashur to tell him what God has been telling him. And in verse 2, it says, when Pashur heard the prophet, what does he do? He puts him in jail. He puts him in prison stocks. He sticks him away for the night. But before that, in verse 2, he beats him. Jeremiah went to a man who supposedly loves God with a word from God, and what he received was a beating, bloodied and in jail. Discouragement can come from those who supposedly love God, meaning family, we've got to be real. The good guys aren't always good. This, this should shock us. This should humble us. The reality is, is a lot of people who supposedly love God really love the God of their imagination. It's not the God of the Bible. And when you present the God of the Bible to somebody who loves the God of their, their imagination, now you're threatening them. Discouragement also comes from closest friends. Look at verse 10. He says, I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all of my close friends. His own closest of friends are rejecting him. The nickname, by the way, that Jeremiah gave Pashur, terror on every side, is used by his own friends against him. And they say, you're the problem. You are the enemy. You are the one who is bringing terror on every side, Jeremiah. Spiritual discouragement, friends, is real. It can come from your roommate. It can come from your closest friends. It can come from your spouse. It can come from those who supposedly love God. It can come from authors. It can come from TV preachers. It can come from kids which, by the way, kids can be mean to each other. And let's just throw a spiritual dimension in there. Kids, I, I want you to know that spiritual discouragement can come from other kids who reject you, 
who drop you because you believe the Bible. Spiritual discouragement is real. And the words that Jeremiah uses to explain his spiritual discouragement are these gut-wrenching, ugly words. So the second thing I see is not just that discouragement comes, but discouragement brings with it bad, dark feelings. Look at these feelings that he has. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, oh Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. You're stronger than me. You've prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everybody mocks me whenever I speak. I cry out. I shout violence. Violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. Jeremiah feels tricked by God. I don't know if you noticed this in the text as Aisha read it this morning, but there's sort of this up and down with Jeremiah. He's feeling good and he's discouraged. He's praising God and he's back into despair. He's worshiping God and he has fallen into depression. I, I, I think this just represents for us the reality of what Jeremiah was probably going through most of his ministry. Back and forth through feelings of rejoicing in God and utter discouragement from being alone in this world and abandoned and persecuted by everybody around him. Jeremiah says God deceived him. Now, this is fascinating to me that this has made it into the inerrant, inspired Word of God. It's not true of, what, uh, of his accusation. His accusation against God is not true. God has not deceived Jeremiah. However, this truly reflects Jeremiah's feelings and what Jeremiah wanted to say. And God, in, in his mercy for us, gave it to us in his inspired word. Then one thing we can just learn from this is when we're discouraged, we can be honest. Like these feelings of discouragement and despair spiritually, like even feelings of accusations against God, these have come to some of God's greatest servants. And when we feel them, we don't need to freak. We don't need to think, oh my goodness, I've lost my salvation. <laughs> no, impossible. God is with us. Even in our times of discouragement, He is with us. Amen? He goes on in verses 14 through 17, wishing He was never born. He says, Cursed be the day I was born, that day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. In verse 17, because, uh, he's, by the way, He's referring here to the doctor that announced his birth and that gave birth to him, and he says, because he did not kill me in the womb. Which, by the way, total side note, if you ever need a text to show that abortion is murder, there it is. He should have killed me in the womb, he says. So my mother would have been my grave, and her womb forever great. What he's saying is, is I wish I was never born. Now, I did not look at the calendar and determine to select this text for Mother's Day. Not the most encouraging Mother's Day text. I get that. 
But the reality is simply this. We see Jeremiah's discouragement. It is great, and it is gut-wrenching. It is real. You're discouraged because the Christian life hasn't been what you thought it would be. Think of Jeremiah. He was called to be a prophet. He was, he was called to, uh, to, to this wonderful, exciting role of being listed as one of the prophets of God. I think what he's saying back here with, Lord, you've deceived me, is this hasn't turned out the way I thought it would. Now, we know that that's not true because God never promised Jeremiah he'd have an easy road. But he feels deceived. We could use a mom as an example, maybe a mother who has a grown child who's walked away from the Lord and uh, is, is in drug addiction and is in uh, constant problems and turmoil. And there could be a sense in which this, this woman, all she ever wanted was to be a mom. And for her, being a mother has just brought heartache and discouragement into her life. And there could be a kind of discouragement that says, God, you tricked me. That's similar, I think, to what Jeremiah is facing. Or someone who says, I, all I wanted in my life was to be a pastor, and I'm a pastor, and it's, it's a struggle. God, you've tricked me. You're discouraged. You're discouraged because the Christian life is not what you thought it would be. You were at one time so excited about these truths, so excited about these doctrines and these convictions, and then you took them out into the world, and you tried to tell your friends about them, and you've got rejection and persecution, and everybody else seems to be having a better time in life, and I'm now discouraged because I feel tricked. I feel deceived. I wish I never got into this ministry. I wish I never was married. I wish I never tried to participate in racial reconciliation. I wish I never believed. I wish I never had heard the gospel and didn't have to worry about all this Christian stuff. What dark feelings sometimes enter into your soul. Family, one gift we can give us, uh, give, give each other, is, is, is a safe place to be able to share some of these dark feelings. Like I think of my one-on-one relationships, discipleship relationships, and the ones that you might have in this church. These, these are opportunities for us to be able to be honest with our feelings, with the darkness that is in our soul as we are discouraged from life and from the ministry that we have been called to. One easy application here is simply this. The prosperity gospel is wrong. The prosperity gospel is wrong. The prosperity gospel says that faith results in health, wealth, and success. And the prosperity gospel goes on to say that sickness and poverty and failure are evidences of the fact that you don't have sufficient faith. Listen, Jeremiah's problems come because of his faith. His, pro- his life in this world is ruined because of what God has called him to. Because God has been so kind as to wake this man up to salvation, to regenerate his own heart, so he can proclaim his world, word, he has ruined his life on this earth. 
We so badly want to believe the prosperity gospel. To believe that everything will be fine. It's false. In addition to that, we want so badly to be accepted by culture. I see this, guys, with pastors who try to be so hip and so cool and don't say half what the Bible says because they want so badly to be accepted by culture. Listen, family, we have people who visit this church and leave all the time. Because we're not trying to be hip with culture. Look, if you want a church where, you can, where, where we're trying to be hip with culture, get up and leave. <laughs> Now's the time. I see this with artists, with Christian musicians, Christian rappers. Across the board, people who so badly want to be accepted by culture. Family, the only way culture will ever fully accept you is if you become unfaithful to God's Word. The only way, let me say that again, culture will ever fully accept us or you however you want to apply that, is if we or you become unfaithful to God's Word. Meaning, discouragement comes if we're faithful to His Word. So how do we overcome it? How do we overcome discouragement? Martin Luther once wrote this. He said, feelings come and go. And feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. Jeremiah is not led by his feelings, but Jeremiah is led by what he knows to be true. I think in some ways this is why God allows us to see how Jeremiah is feeling. Jeremiah wishes he was never born, but he keeps on living. He wishes he didn't have to preach, but he keeps on preaching. Meaning he's not led by how he feels. Are you tracking with me? Oh, he's got these dark feelings. Let's be honest. But that's not what's driving him. That's not how he chooses to live. That's not how he chooses to act. How he lives is based on what he knows to be true. And so what he does here then is he turns to the greatness of God. In verse 11, we see him turning to what is true. He's got friends who are deceiving him, friends who are knocking him down, who are plotting against him. And Jeremiah says, but my God is a dread warrior. Jeremiah is kind of gangster. Like, I don't know if you notice in the first couple of verses of chapter 20 when Pashur is uh, throwing him in jail, and then Jeremiah comes out of jail, and Jeremiah, first thing he says to Pashur is, Your name's no longer Pashur, but it is terror on every side. <laughs> I love this guy. 
And as his closest friends plot against him, he says, look, my God is a dread, dread warrior. And then he goes on to say, what's true? They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed. They will not succeed. And their uh, dishonor will be eternal. Which, by the way, notice the future tense. They will be. Meaning, he's looking to the future. He's looking to the realities of what is to come, not what is. Now today, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but the principalities and powers of the air. The darkness of this present world that is influencing the very people that are persecuting us. And we can very well say, God, they will not win. We know that. We will not be shamed. We will not be overcome by them. They will not succeed, and their dishonor will be eternal. Which means this, if you believe the Bible, you are on the right side of history. A lot of times people are worried about being on the right side of history. I want to believe the right things now, which people will believe in 50 years from now. Or in 500 years from now. Listen, friends, if you believe the Bible, you're on the right side of history. Maybe not in 50 years. Maybe not in 500 years. But if we're talking about real history, and we're looking at the eternal realities of our story, you are on the right side of history as you cling to the truths of Scripture. Now, the result for Jeremiah in verse 13 is praise. Sing to the Lord. He says, praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the, need, of the needy, referring to himself, and all believers who suffer from the hand of evildoers. Adam and Eve acted according to their feelings. They desired to sin against God, and they went with it. The difference between them and Jeremiah is Jeremiah had these sinful, dark feelings, and he acted according to what was right and what he knew to be true. As it relates to the difficult questions of our day, will you be led by your feelings or by, by what you know to be true? As we think of issues of racism, of gender, of human sexuality, marriage, abortion, the exclusivity of Christ, salvation by grace, not by works, Will we be led by what we feel to be true and what we desire, or will we be led by truth itself that is revealed to us in God's Word? What is true? What is true is that Jesus Christ came into this world as the full representation of God. When we look at Christ, we see God. Jesus Christ, the the God-man speaking the very word of God was rejected. They didn't just reject the message, did they? They rejected the messenger. The greatest persecution anybody has ever faced is the persecution that Jesus himself faced, God in the flesh. As the world with their full force, turned on Christ and put him on the cross, nailed him there, killed him. And in this crazy turn, God had ordained this moment 
so that Christ might be the sin bearer. So that Christ might take our sins on Him on the cross. Buried with Him in the ground, three days later He rose from the dead and all who trust in Him and turn from their sins have the hope that they are on the right side of history. They are with Christ. They're in Him. They have Him. And all that is His. As we declare Jesus Christ and all that is His, we must be led by what we know to be true, not by our feelings. If I could summarize what I've been saying here this morning, Jeremiah is suffering greatly because of persecution. What does he do? He gazes upon the greatness of God. He sees God for who God is. He knows that God is right. God is the conqueror. God is the champion. This is true. And then he is led, he acts based on what is true. Now all of this that we've been talking about here is the foundation for verse 9. Let me remind you what verse 9 says. He says, If I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. He's got a fire in his bones. He can't stop. He can't stop proclaiming the Word of God even though he wants to. He can't. Because when you encounter something great, you can't stop talking about it. Think of a grandmother. When a grandmother encounters her grandbaby, she can't stop talking about the grandbaby. Try to get a grandmother to stop talking about her grandbabies. You know you meet a grandmother because as soon as you meet her, she's showing you a picture of a little baby that she thinks is the cutest baby in the world. I don't even think that baby is cute, but I'm not going to tell her that because this is a grandmother. And she's encountered something great. When you encounter something great, you can't stop talking about it. Or think of a married man just after his wedding day. He can't stop talking about it. He's so excited. You're still talking about it, right? My, I can't, every time I see Montreux, he's like, man, let me tell you about Jody. Let me tell you about her. When you've encountered something great, you can't stop proclaiming it. Or think of somebody who's watched a great movie. I just watched uh, Black Panther. Uh, yep, yep, yep. I, I'm, I'm a cheapskate. I don't go to the theater. It costs too much money. So I waited for it to come out on Amazon. It's a great movie. I still have to finish it. I never watch a whole movie, and Montreal knows this, in one sitting. I watched about three-quarters of it. I got a quarter left. But I see why a lot of people have been talking about Black Panther. It's a good movie. When you encounter something great, right, you can't stop talking about it. Like, for example, a LeBron James fan, was, you know, just off the top, top of my head. When, when, you, when you encounter something great, I digress. Listen, in all seriousness, when we encounter the greatness of God, we can't stop 
talking about him. We've got a fire in our bones. When we recognize our own story and how God has saved us, our experience of grace. I once was lost in darkest night, yet I thought I knew the way the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that God would own a rebel to his will. But if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. And as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross, and I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. When we encounter something great, we can't stop talking about it. Family, you have encountered the warrior king. You've encountered Yahweh, the great Jehovah, the Christ, the God-man who suffered in our place, our Savior. We've got a fire in our bones. How can we stop talking about him? Has he been good to you? Has he forgiven you of your sins? Has the Word of God produced fruit in your life? Has the Holy Spirit testified to you of the truthfulness of His Word? Can we say with Peter and John, as for me, I can't help speaking about what I have seen and heard. As for me, I can't Help speaking about what I have seen and what I have heard because I have a fire in my bones. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be in your word. We ask, God, that you would continue to encourage us in the midst of persecution and discouragement, that we would look to Christ, see the greatness of you manifested in the God-man, Jesus Christ, and that we would as we encounter your greatness, continue to proclaim your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.